we're actually going to talk today about what it means to be spiritual. And so I'd like you to think about what, are you spiritual? Are you a spiritual person? And if you believe that you are a spiritual person, why do you believe that? What makes you think you're spiritual? That's what we're going to talk about today. When I was in my 20s, I went on a spiritual journey with uh, some friends of mine. And ironically, I, I, went, I moved away, I turned away from God to go on this journey. Um, and for several years, uh, my friends and I, we basically explored the unknown. That's what we were all about. We, we talked a lot about the mysteries of the universe. We, we looked for other dimensions of reality. We listened to edgy experimental electronic music. We watched movies that pushed the boundaries of artistic expression. We played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. We read books by Carlos Castaneda and Jack Kerouac and Ken Kesey. We discovered Eastern mysticism. And we, we studied Yaqui sorcery. We detached ourselves from the normal social structures around us. And we took a lot of LSD. A lot of LSD. And we did this for years. And after years of searching... I discovered something. I discovered that I wasn't on a spiritual journey at all. <laughs> I discovered that everything I was doing was actually very natural. There was nothing spiritual about it. So we all have this desire to discover the truth about life, to discover the key to a great life, to discover life's, you know, secret, hidden wisdom. People are mesmerized by that. People are always looking for that. We love stumbling onto new insights and new ways of, of thinking of, of the world. It's empowering. It's liberating. It can be life-changing. I remember a few years ago, uh, a neighbor of mine, we were talking, and he brought, he was, um, he is, he's the best neighbor you could ever want. Just this great guy. He's like the black captain. He goes to all the you know, the, the city council meetings and keeps everyone informed. He's captain of the neighborhood watch, all that stuff. He's, uh, he's like 6'4", 300 pounds. He rides a Harley. He works at a machine shop. And I was surprised when he told me he was reading The Secret. This book, The Secret, that was like on Oprah's book club a few years ago. I'm like, well, what's that about? He's like, well, it's about the secret to life. And I was like, oh, what's, what is that? <laughs> What's the secret to life? And, and it, as it turns out, the secret to life, according to this book, and it's like a, this is like a you know international bestseller. And the whole book is about the power of positive thinking. If you think about and meditate on something long enough, it'll come to pass. That's the secret to life. That's the secret. It's the spiritual secret. And many people have been influenced by that secret, <laughs> right? And most of you have probably had some kind of religious or spiritual journey. Most of you have. Maybe you're on a spiritual journey right now. Maybe your parents brought you to church when you were younger. Uh, I remember um, Emily North, her baptism testimony a couple weeks ago, talking about, I used to go to church because my parents made me go to church. I didn't want to be there, but they made me. And so for some of you, that was your experience, right? You, you had to go to church because that's just what you, what you guys did. And maybe you learned some things about God and you even believed it. For most people over the age of 35, that's common. That's part of their story. But for, for people under the age of 35, that's not as common in their story anymore. 
In fact, for many young people today, there's no reference point for God. It's like, it's like God was fine for those other generations, the older generations. It fit them. Maybe it still does. But, but look at us now. You know, we have these insanely powerful, you know, small machines that we're on all the time. Or, or um, computers, I mean, not machines. Our phones aren't really machines. But there's these computers, and we can get any information we want in, within seconds. And we have all of these medical and scientific and, and technological advances. Why do we need God? Why do we need him anymore? It's okay to be spiritual, but do we really need to go back to this idea that there's only one God, and if we don't worship that one God, that he's going to judge and condemn us? Is that really necessary? I mean, that, it was like, it's like many of us were handed some religious system or spiritual system, and that system was great for my parents' generation, but it doesn't fit me. So I don't, I don't want that system. I don't want any part of it. I need to find a system that fits my life. And that's how many people think today. That's what, it, you know, so it's almost like God, God's like a waterbed. It, it used to be if you slept on a waterbed, you had arrived, you know. All you needed was your boombox and your acid wash jeans and your waterbed. And if you had those things, you were somebody. But now all the waterbed factories are closed down. Nobody wants waterbeds anymore. We've moved on. Sorry, I don't mean to offend anyone who has a waterbed here today. I didn't think about that. But many people have moved on from God. They've moved on from God, but they have not stopped searching for the spiritual because they believe that you don't need God to be spiritual. You don't need God to be spiritual. So, again, are you spiritual? Are you a spiritual person? You know, to people who are religious, this means something different than to people who don't have a religious background. When I ask you that question, you think about it differently. Because if, if you have a religious background, most things have a black and white answer. I'm spiritual because I believe in God and I go to church and I pray. But to people who don't have a religious background, being spiritual means something different. It means something more to them. Alright, so... So let me just ask you, does going to church and praying and reading your Bible, does that make you spiritual? Does, does meditation make you spiritual? Maybe you felt a kind of spiritual energy or experience when you were in nature, you know, looking down from a mountain or, or um, looking over the Grand Canyon or, or looking out at the ocean or hiking in a forest or something like that. Maybe that gave you a sense of spirituality. Some people might say today, you know, I don't, I don't think God is confined to a building or a temple or a place. You know, that's, that was from the old system. You know, people would build these buildings and temples and just try to get people into those places so that they could encounter God. But I believe God is everywhere, and so I don't need to go to a place. I don't need to belong to a church to be spiritual or to, be, or, or to get close to God. Some people might say that raising a family or creating things or standing up for the rights of the powerless, or healing the environment, or bringing orphans into our home. That's what it means to be spiritual. To others, being spiritual means the absence of pain and doubt and struggle. It means total peace. To be spiritual, I need to get away from the chaos in my life. Who's right? Can we really know what it means to be spiritual? Yes, we can. 
And before we go into God's word today, I just, I just want to say one more thing. This whole subject is really important. Do you know why? Because if we don't agree on what it means to be spiritual, we will fall apart. We will fall apart. We will end up comparing ourselves with one another. We'll end up judging each other on some sliding scale. You know, they're more spiritual than I am, and I'm more spiritual than they are. And there will be division and jealousy because we don't agree on this thing, and we don't know what it means to be spiritual. And that's how important this is. So listen to some things that God says about being spiritual. In Ephesians 6, verse 12, This is what the word says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. So what God is saying is that our enemies are spiritual. Our enemies are not physical, primarily. Our enemies are spiritual enemies, and they love to, we can't see them, but they can see us, And they love to create chaos and confusion in our lives. And what they love to confuse us about is what it means to be spiritual. And how do they do that? They deceive us into thinking that some people are more spiritual than others. That's how they do it. That's how we think sometimes, that that some people are more spiritual than others. And that creates nothing but division and jealousy. And then we start comparing ourselves with other followers of Jesus. It's kind of like belonging to a gym, if some of you belong to a gym and you walk into the weight room and and you look around and you're kind of sizing other people up and all all these men and women are lifting weights and they're wearing really tight clothes and and they want to show off their muscles and everything and you're looking around at them and you're thinking, I can lift more than that guy and I definitely can't lift as much as that lady and (laughs) that's what I say and and you're, you're kind of sizing them up. And sometimes we treat the church like a spiritual gym. We walk in and we look around at other people. We listen to other people. And we're thinking that way. We're comparing ourselves with them. Like, I know more than he does. I know God's word better. I understand what that means. They don't. I'm more spiritual than them. Or here, this, sometimes this can happen. You walk into an environment in the church, or maybe it's in your small group. Maybe it's in a worship service. And you look around and you feel a little uncomfortable because you feel like I'm not as spiritual as these other people. And so I don't belong here. I, I won't be accepted by them because they're more spiritual than I am. And I want to tell you today that that is a lie. That is a lie from hell, from our spiritual enemies. That is not, that's not what's real. There is no sliding scale of spirituality. And so, when you are deceived about what it means to be spiritual, here's what can happen. You can end up boasting in the presence of God. You can think that you are somebody because you read your Bible and you go to church and you pray and you serve and you give and you feel like I'm more spiritual because I do these things And then I go into God's presence and think that God owes me something. And I just want to remind you, I think Phil brought this up last week, but I just want to remind you, the worst thing you can do in the presence of God is boast about yourself. That is the worst thing you can do. 
And so today we're going to keep digging. We're going to pick up right where, where Phil left off last week. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. And, and Paul is still talking about the message of the cross. That's what this whole first part of this letter is about. It's about the, the centrality of Jesus Christ crucified and what it means to every area of our life. And so today we're going to pick up... and. and what we're going to see is there, we're given three comparisons today in the text, or three contrasts, and we're going to look at each one briefly, and then we'll wrap up. And so let's look at the first one. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. And, and I just want to give you a little heads up. This is widely considered to be the most difficult and problematic passage in the whole letter to interpret. So if you've never read this passage before, and you read it for the first time today, and you're like, I do not understand that. Nobody did the first time they read it. So don't feel like you're, you know, less intelligent or anything, because we're going to talk about that. So 1 Corinthians 2.6, here's what Paul says to the church. He says, yet among the mature... We do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So the first contrast that we see in these few verses is that there are two kinds of people. There are those who understand God's secret and hidden wisdom and those who don't. So you either understand God's secret and hidden wisdom or you don't understand it. Those are the two people that are being compared here. And what is this secret and hidden, hidden wisdom of God, and who are the mature people who understand it? Because that's what the text says. <clears throat> the mature are simply those people who understand God's wisdom in the message of the cross. That's what he's talking about. It's the people who understand God's wisdom in the message of the cross. And there are no, there's nothing special about these people. They're not exceptional people. They're not smarter or wiser or better or stronger by worldly standards. In fact, many of them, if not most of them, are weak in the world's eyes, Paul says. In the previous passage, he said, not many of you, when you were called, were anything special. You weren't strong, you weren't, you weren't wise, you weren't powerful. In the world's eyes, you were poor, you were foolish, you were lowly, you were despised. See, they don't stand out. They are ordinary, simple people. The only thing that sets them apart is that God called them. And God chose them, these foolish, weak, lowly people, to shame the strong and the, and, and the wise people who live in their own strength and have decided they don't need God to be happy. And God did this. He chose you and he chose me so that no one can boast in his presence. God doesn't want anyone to be able to say, God, I figured you out. I found you. I got the secret to the universe and the secret to life. And I did it because I'm special. <laughs> doesn't work that way at all. Quite the opposite is true. God chooses people who are humble, who are, who are lowly, who are meek. And he chooses, he chooses to reveal himself to people who don't deserve his grace at all. Who did nothing to get his attention. And something we need to understand about the message of the cross. 
We're talking about the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, that he died for sinners, to bring them into God's presence. That's the gospel. And what Paul says about the gospel, he describes it here as a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So this is pretty amazing if you think about it. The cross, according to this passage, was not some plan B. Right? It wasn't like God created the universe and he created men and uh, Adam and Eve. And, he had, and everything, he felt like, okay, everything's perfectly set up. Nothing's going to go wrong. And then somehow the devil snuck in there and ruined God's plan. And now I have to figure out how am I going to rescue my, my, these p- wicked people. I guess I'll have to come down a, as a person and die on the cross. That's not how it happened. The cross was always plan A. God decreed that Jesus was going to die for the sins of the world before he created the world, according to this passage. And, it was, and, and if the rulers of this age had understood this, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. That's what he says. It was God's plan to crucify Jesus. The good news that God was sending Jesus to take away our sins and to suffer and die in our place was always the plan, but it was a mystery. It was hidden. It was a secret. The New Testament writers use this word mystery all throughout the New Testament. Paul especially, he talks about the fact that God from the very beginning had planned to send his son to redeem the universe and through his own people who were created in his image, and that was a mystery. In other words, it was veiled. It was hidden. There were, if when you look back at the Old Testament, you can see the signs, you can see the prophecies, you can, you can see that this is coming. But the people in the Old Testament, they didn't fully get it until Jesus came. It's, it's in like in um, Luke chapter 24, Jesus, after he rose again, he's walking along this road. He comes up alongside two of his disciples who were on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus had just been crucified, and they're all discouraged because the, the one man who they thought was the hope for the world, the Messiah, had been crucified. I guess he wasn't the guy. <laughs> and they're talking about all the events that had taken place, and Jesus comes up alongside, and they don't recognize as Jesus. But Jesus does something amazing. He opens their eyes to understand the scriptures. And then he goes all the way back to the Old Testament, beginning with Genesis. And he teaches them all the things that the Old Testament said about him. You know why that had to happen? Because it was a mystery before. What was it that they didn't see? These guys knew the Old Testament better than we do. What did they not see? They didn't see Christ crucified as the key to it all until Jesus opened their eyes. And that's how it happens. That's how it happens to the disciples. That's how it happens to us. And this is God's secret wisdom. And not everyone understands it. In fact, the only way a human being can understand God's wisdom is if God opens their mind to understand it. No one can, will ever arrive at this wisdom on their own. So who are the mature? Who are the, those who have this secret and hidden wisdom from God? It's not the heavenly-minded people. It's not the super spiritual people. It's not the leadership team. It's not people who have some special label or spiritual gift. 
It is any person who recognizes that Jesus' death on the cross is the most important thing that has ever happened, and it's the most important thing to them. It matters most to them, the death of Jesus on the cross. It matters more than anything else to them. That's who understands. That's who the spiritual people are, according to this passage. So that's the first contrast. Those who understand the message of the cross and those who don't. The second contrast we're going to see in the next few verses, beginning in verse 10. These things, Paul says, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So the second contrast is simply this, the Spirit of the world and the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of the world, and then we have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the world tells us that we don't need God to be spiritual. That's the Spirit of the world talking. There's nothing in this present age or in the wisdom of the world that can bring us to the personal knowledge and understanding of God. The only way that gap ever closes between us and God on a personal, intimate level is through what's called revelation. It's the Holy Spirit revealing God to us. It's the Holy Spirit breaking through your hard heart and turning the light on. Waking you up to the presence of God. Telling you who God is. Telling you that you are God's child. That, he, that, that God is your Father. And, and, and reminding you of all the things that you have been freely given by God through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. That's the Spirit of God. You never get there on your own. It only happens through God sending His Spirit to live in your heart. So what are, Paul talks about, these, so that we can, we have the Spirit, so that we can understand the things freely given to us by God. Well, what are those things? Some of those things Paul has already told us about in the first couple chapters of this letter. He talks about, he gave us Jesus, his only son, as a sacrifice for our sins. He's given us righteousness through Jesus. Jesus' righteousness becomes our righteousness his righteousness is our covering so that when we stand before God in, in, in the judgment, we are covered by the righteousness of Jesus. And we, are, we will be accepted because our sins were judged on the cross. We have redemption. We have freedom. We have power over sin. We have salvation. These things are all God's free gifts to us. And the Spirit continually reminds us of these things. It's like the Spirit is preaching the cross of Christ to us, preaching the gospel to us over and over again. Every single day. And do you know why that needs to happen? Because every single day we're confronted with the spirit of the world. And the spirit of the world is preaching a very different message to you. A very different message to you. You know, believe in yourself. Think positive. You're going to be okay. I mean, all of these, you know, only the strong survive. All these messages that come from the spirit of the world. And the spirit of God is preaching a different message. And, and, and it also tells us that when you gather with the church that you should hear something very different than what you're hearing in the world. 
Because we are not led by the spirit of the world. We're led by the spirit of God. And we exalt the name of Jesus. And Jesus is not being exalted in our world. And so there should be a drastic contrast between what you experience with the body of Christ and what you experience out in the world. So how does that message come to us? The spirit of, the, of God. How does that message come to us? It's through the message of the cross. It's not through human wisdom. It's not through lofty communication. It's not through eloquence and sophistication. It's, it's through humility and simplicity. Paul says it's through weakness. It's, it's in a demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. Not of human ingenuity. The message of, of the cross is not about God meeting all of my needs and, and, and about me feeling good about myself and about God, you know, making all of my dreams come true. That's not the message of the cross. The message of the cross is grace for sinners. And everyone who understands this, stands this message stops boasting about their life and their accomplishments and they start boasting in the cross of Jesus because they know that it's only in the death of Jesus that they have the hope for new life. Listen to 1 John 2. The Apostle John says this, Do not love the world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the love, excuse me, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, And pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And the world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Do you see the contrast? Do you see it? You can't love the world and love God. You can't be led by the Spirit of the world and the Spirit of God. Even though we know, we're hearing both of those messages... Every single day. It's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. Every single day to be led by the Spirit of God. Because the world is pulling us in a completely different direction. So if you're a spiritual person, just just to sum up where we've been, right? If you're a spiritual person, you will begin to understand God's thoughts. Think about that. You will begin to understand God's thoughts. You will begin to see things you never saw before. And one of the things you will see is this. The wisdom of this age is passing away. But the word of God will stand forever. That's one of the things you'll see. The gospel changes everything. Race and pedigree and higher education and and social status don't matter in the new age of God's rule. Doesn't matter. The age where you are judged by your appearance and resume and portfolio is over as far as God is concerned. You aren't judged by those things anymore. You are judged at the cross. Everything is measured by the cross. Judging people by performance and race and education and achievements belongs to the old way. And that way was annihilated when Jesus died. And God is making all things new. Do you live like that? I mean, do you live 
Which age are you living in? Are you living in the, in, in the old age where all that stuff matters? Or are you living in the new age where all that matters is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, our Savior King, like we just sang? They're very different. So what does this really mean? What does this matter for your daily life? Like, why does this even matter? Well, if you're a parent, and I always think about this because I am a parent, and I know a lot of you are a parent, parents. Here's what, I, here's what it means, for example. You don't need the best parenting method. You don't need to find the right philosophy. You don't need to worry that if you don't raise your kids a certain way, they might get really messed up. Your kids are already really messed up. That's what the Bible says. It you're, they entered the world that way. They have sin in their hearts. They care only about themselves, most if not all of the time. Most of our kids entered the world kicking and screaming and urinating everywhere and declaring war on everyone. And they didn't learn that from us, or maybe they did, some of us. But what your kids need and what you need is the cross. And that is the only message. That is the one message they need to hear more than any other message. Your kids don't need a college education and a good job and a nice home and a safe neighborhood with a wonderful spouse. They don't need any of that. What they need is to know that Jesus died for them and that their sins are forgiven and that they will live forever in the new age of God's kingdom where Jesus is king. And that kingdom has already begun. Do they know Jesus? Are you showing them Jesus? They need to know that Jesus died for them more than they need to know that you love them. That's how important this is. So what does it mean to be spiritual? There's one more contrast we'll look at. And it's from the last few verses of chapter 2. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So this last contrast is very simple. We have the natural person and the spiritual person. Those are the only two people as far as God is concerned. And there's different ways to put that, but this is how the text says it. There's natural people, and there are spiritual people. What does it mean to be a natural person? A natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. That's the natural person. The natural person does not accept that he is a sinner in need of rescue. The natural person does not accept that there is only one God and that Jesus Christ is the only way to know God. The natural person does not accept Jesus Christ as their substitute on the cross. The natural person does not accept the cross as a way of life. They do not take up their cross and follow Jesus. They do not love Jesus. They do not worship Jesus. They do not follow Jesus. They do not accept the message of the cross as the best news they've ever heard. That's the natural person. So what does it mean to be a spiritual person? Well, the, Paul says the spiritual person judges all things, but is judged by no one. What does that mean? We kind of talked about it already, but it basically means to measure all things by the message of the cross. The message of Jesus Christ crucified 
changes the way you look and think about look look at and think about everything. Everything. And, and, and so the, the way that you measure yourself in relation to God, the way that you measure yourself in relation to other people, the way that you measure your children, the way that you measure your success, all of it is measured by the cross. Everything. It means that you are thinking about yourself a lot less than you used to, and you're thinking about God and others a lot more. It means that you boast about nothing except the crucifixion of Jesus. It means you are humble and bold at the same time. It means you're teachable. It means you can love people who have nothing to give you in return. That's the spiritual person. That's how they live. Because of what Jesus did. I mean, we were all at one time natural. Right? Every single one of us was natural. And then God called us. And again, there's nothing special about you that got God's attention. God chose you for one reason. He chose you to bring attention to himself. He didn't choose you because he needed you. I was thinking this last week, I'm a huge NBA fan, and and there was a story in the news about Jimmy Butler, who's one of the star players in the Minnesota Timberwolves, and he's dragging the team through this whole debacle. With he, he doesn't he wants to be traded, but they, no one you know no one's willing to give Minnesota enough. And he hasn't been to, he hasn't played in any preseason games or hardly been to any practices. And then last week he finally showed up at a practice. You know, like nobody knew he was coming. And then he was all like crazy at practice, and everyone's talking about what's this, what's with this, what's with him, what's gotten into him. He what he did was he's talking trash to everybody. At practice. He hasn't even been around. He just comes in and starts talking trash. And then he goes and he picks the B squad. Like the guys that never play. And he starts scrimmaging against the, all the starters. And he runs the table. He crushes them over and over again. While he's talking trash to everybody. And, he, and here's what I'm trying to... Here's the point. He chose the B squad. He didn't want to run with the starters. He chose the B squad. Why? Because he wanted to prove that he's, that he's the best. I don't need you all the guys. You need me. That's a, he's making a statement. It was clear. I'm not trying to say God's like Jimmy Butler. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is God kind of did the same thing with us. He, he chose the B squad. That's us. So that he can make a point that he doesn't need the power and ingenuity and wisdom of human beings in this world to do anything. He chose what is weak in this world to shame the wise. He chose what is lowly and despised to shame the strong. He chose us to get the attention of the world. Because when the world looks at us, they should think, what's different about them? There's something different about they're like on a, they're like living in another realm or something. I don't get it yet, but there's something that attracts me to that. There's nothing special about, like, you know, they're not super smart. They're not super powerful. They're not geniuses. They're not like these amazing people, but they have something. We have God. We have Jesus. That should get the world's attention. And that's why God chose us. He 
He, God chose us on purpose so that he could show the world what he is like through simple, ordinary people who love each other. It's through our love for one another. That's what it's about. You know, natural people, natural people are always running from God. And the reason they run from God is they don't know God yet. And it's almost like they're running from God like, the, like, a, like a little child is running away from the father they don't understand or a father that they're afraid of. But God isn't like that. God isn't that kind of father. Natural people, they create a version of God that they can manipulate and control. A God that will leave them alone. We've all done that. But God is not who we thought he was. He's way better. God is always better than we imagine him to be. And we're the proof. We're the proof of that. So, so what's the point? What, what did we discover today? You're not spiritual because you go to church and know the scriptures and spend hours praying every week. The only measure of spirituality that counts is the cross. So if you want to know if you're a spiritual person, think about this. Are you humble? Are you loving? Do you consider others more important than yourself? Do you put their needs first? Are you a servant? Do you fight for unity? Are you willing to set your agenda aside to encourage another brother or sister? That's what it means to be spiritual. It means to live from the cross. Being a spiritual church, by the way, being a spiritual church is not about speaking in tongues and prophesying and raising our hands, even though all of those things can be signs of the Spirit, right? But being a spiritual church is about preaching Christ crucified. It's about being humble and unified in the gospel of Jesus. It's about putting aside our differences and loving each other. That's what a spiritual church is. Being spiritual is not something we do. It's something God did. He sent his son to die for our sins. And he he sent his spirit to live in us and wake us up to his presence. That's what it means to be spiritual. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we are so grateful today for the crucifixion of Jesus. And, and the world doesn't understand this message that the brutal, bloody, awful execution of an innocent man who, who took the place of a criminal could save us, could be our only hope in this life. But God, by your grace, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the gospel. And I pray, God, that you would keep us humble and that we would never move on from this message. That Jesus Christ crucified is the best thing that's ever happened to us. And God, may we live out of that message and out of that hope. And may we share that message with other people. And may you bring, may you bring a harvest. May you change people who hear that message continually. May you continually look down on us and and shine the light of Christ. May you open hearts and soften hearts and open eyes to see that Jesus, Jesus is your glory.
He is the Lord of glory. And may we boast in nothing except for the cross of Jesus Christ. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.